The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran some vegans like donuts some vegans like pie while others have memorized how not to die some vegans eat oil free and others eat raw but for all of them i have respect even awe. We're all saving animals and fixing the weather. So why don't we all just do this together? (laughs) I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. And wherever you are on your vegan word journey, it is such a pleasure to be spending this time with you today. If you're new to Main Street Vegan, you can check out more of what goes on there at MainStreetVegan.net. You can sign up for our special mailings, and you can be kind of in the in crowd on that. That would be really cool. And while you're going to websites, I do want to let you know that our hosting network, Unity Online Radio, has redone and, and reconfigured their website to a destination of total gorgeousness, not to mention a lot of really, really fabulous other programming that anybody who's interested in what we talk about here at Main Street Vegan would also be interested in. Their programs about yoga, programs about healing, programs about personal growth and personal development. So do check all of that out at unityonlineradio.org. Now, after the break, speaking of yoga, we're going to be talking with a true yogini, Tatiana Ferrero Puerta, author of Yoga for the Wounded Heart. And right now, we're going to be talking about an app for the hungry body and the weary traveler. And that is none other than your favorite, Happy Cow. Happy Cow was telling vegans how to travel and be well-fed back before we even had apps, back when we only had websites. And now they're an app and they're up on everything. And as you know, if you are a traveler, Happy Cow is your friend. Ken Spector is our guest. He's a principal at happycow.com, the world's largest vegan vegetarian restaurant and health food store guide. He's a fountain of knowledge, interested in everything from the 
psychology of business marketing to organic gardening. And he has worked in upper management for companies including Microsoft, Hollywood.com, and EcoVision Packaging. And now he represents Happy Cow to the media and to people around the world. And he co-authors every year the annual super popular Top 10 Vegan Friendly Cities article on Happy Cow, which was published not so long ago. And if you're out in LA, you just might see him riding around on his bike. Welcome, Ken. Hello, Victoria, how are you? I'm terrific, wonderful to have you. Well, thanks for having me. So I'm excited about these cities because I travel a lot and sometimes I just don't even know what I'm gonna expect there because a lot of times the cities surprise me. So from the most recent 10 vegan friendly cities, mm-hmm. what's the one that surprised you the most? Surprised me the most on the top 10 was definitely Warsaw, Poland. Mm. Uh, you know, I had a couple of friends who had gone to both Berlin, which is also in the top 10, and Warsaw about six or seven years ago. And I remember my friend telling me, Ken, you know, the food here is horrible and I ate meat. I don't know how you would even survive in either of these cities. And Warsaw, about three, maybe four years ago, Eric and I had planned a trip uh, to Warsaw because there were, I think, you know, maybe 11 or 12, 14 vegan restaurants and they had really sprung up overnight. And we saw this, this sort of explosion of vegan restaurants there. By the time we arrived in 2015, uh, in May, there were 20 vegan restaurants and now there are 49 vegan restaurants in the area. And uh-huh. what's really surprising about Warsaw is that they're in about one and a half, one square mile of, of Warsaw. So you can walk from vegan. You can get a vegan entree at this restaurant, a vegan dessert at this, re- at this restaurant. They have two vegan, wonderful vegan sushi restaurants, Edamame uh-huh. and Yumiko. It's just, it's fabulous food. And, you know, when people think of this place, when they think of Warsaw, they often think of, you know, sausages and meat, which obviously still is sort of the uh, the mainstream diet there. But with these brand new vegan restaurants opening up, it's just it's fascinating. It's wonderful for vegans and non-vegans alike. That is really exciting. And Eric, you mentioned Eric Brent, the, yes. the founder and director of Happy Cow. What, yes. what a poor looking thing that was back in 1997 to know that we needed happy cow and how yes. much growth would happen between mm-hmm. then and now. Sure. So tell me a, a couple of the other cities. And then of course, so we'll send everybody to the article sure. over at the show notes at mainstreetvegan.net, but I want to know where to go. Sure. By the way, happy cow was started in 1999, uh, in, in India of all places, uh, but, uh, that's a, that's a, for another day. Uh, but as far as the top okay. cities go, uh, some other cities, well, you know, I was in, I, I spent quite a bit of time in London this past year. Uh, and this year I was in London as well earlier this year and talk about a place that has just become a vegan Mecca. You know, I just looked a moment ago and within, uh, you know, a, I think it's a five square mile radius there are around 100 or actually a 10 square mile radius. I did a larger radius. There are about 130 vegan restaurants. Plus, mm. there's more than that. 130 vegan restaurants in London. You know, I went to school for a while when I was 13 in England. I remember going to London and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about veganism at that point. And it wasn't about veganism when I went in 2001 at all. I was vegan at the time. And, you know, I would end up going to Indian restaurants to mm-hmm. get their vegan dishes at Indian restaurants. 
now London is just exploding in terms of veganism. There's so many choices. And, you know, I remember just in the subway or in the tube, you can see a vegan donut shop and the word vegan is everywhere in that city. So it's, it's really fabulous. Uh, in terms of some other cities that uh, might even surprise you, well, Tel Aviv, Israel is incredibly vegan. Uh, about 5% of Israelis you know, claim to be vegan, which is quite high in this, in this world. Uh, but Tel Aviv has loads and loads of vegan restaurants. I'm actually probably going to go to Tel Aviv in a couple of months to, to check out the scene there. Um, Prague is another one. Uh, you know, the, the food in Prague has increased, has improved tremendously, but the number of vegan restaurants beyond loving huts has increased tremendously. When Eric and I went a few couple of years ago, or a few years ago, there were a lot of vegan restaurants, but about nine or 10 of them were loving huts. And they were it was, now they've, they've expanded way beyond that. And based on population density for a decent sized city, Prague has the most vegan restaurants in, in Europe. So really? you know, Prague is now a very vegan friendly city. Um, Paris just entered our top 10 this year. Um, Paris, which is obviously a place known for their cheese and their, their, uh, their meat now is becoming a, a vegan, a vegan place to go. You know, there's loads of vegan food there. The food is really great. They have a vegan pizza place. They have a, a vegan hamburger place. They have loads of vegan sort of high end restaurants there. And it's, it's a, it's another great place to go as a vegan. So this world is looking very vegan. <laughs> oh, it, that's so exciting. I, mean, I really relate with London because I lived in London right after high school and I went vegetarian <laughs> just because even at that time, there was just so much more than there was where I came from, Kansas City, yes. Missouri, which now has become a fabulous vegan city as well. Yes. So things really are changing. So you've told us about some of the best cities. Now tell us about some of the best restaurants. Let, just give us your three yeah. favorite restaurants in all the world. In all the world. Okay. <laughs> you know, I am, I'm really fond of vegan sushi restaurants. And, you know, I'm going to have to say, um, one that just stands out of my mind right now, I, you know, it's funny when I'm interviewed different times, I come up with different recommendations. Well, this time I'm going to say, uh, sushi Momo in Montreal. I love that restaurant. It's a vegan sushi restaurant and it's absolutely spectacular. Um, see some others that I absolutely Well, just uh, tell me yeah. what, just because a lot of people listen who are in the restaurant business sure, and would want to sure. know what makes it spectacular. Spectacular. You know, it's, it's the flavors. It's coming up with unique presentations. A lot of these, you know, there's another one, Shojin, which I absolutely love in Los Angeles. And then I love, you know, you can go on Happy Cow and look up uh, edamame and look at some of the pictures I took of this vegan sushi. The presentation is spectacular. You won't even believe your eyes. I have not seen vegan sushi that looks like anywhere near as nicely presented as the vegan sushi at Edamame in Warsaw, Poland, for example. But the presentation is one thing. But just the flavors, the balance of flavors, being able to sort of emulate some of these places are emulating sort of the crab meats and the different fishes. Um, you know, I think that's one thing. And as far as sushi goes, too, in, in Los Angeles, they're offering this vegan sushi that's made of tomatoes, yeah. which is, so it looks like salmon and, uh, it's really incredible. So I would say the flavors, the, just the, the presentation, uh, are, are just are phenomenal. A lot of these vegan sushi restaurants, which are mm -hmm. opening up around the world. And what's the name of the one in Montreal again? Sushi Momo. Sushi it Momo. is spectacular. <laughs> okay. Spectacular. And by the way, I, I'm just picturing this martini glass with cucumber, 
uh, cut in a very, very thin, long slice draped over the martini glass. And it is, you know, some of these restaurants are rather expensive, but, uh, you know, there are plenty of vegan restaurants around the world that are not as expensive that are also just phenomenal. So. Okay, so we've got your your one, or actually two of yeah, sushi. There's two. But give us give us two more two in this more. fabulous top three, and we'll put those in the top show notes as three, well. Top three, you know, I'm going to come up with. Uh, here's one that uh, I I do talk about sometimes. Vromage in L.A. Vromage is a like fromage, which is cheese in the French. The shop, the cheese shop, vegan cheese shop. It's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they have these incredible sandwiches. They have these incredible. Uh, pizzas and salads and uh, it's, it's just incredible. And this guy's from Morocco and he makes phenomenal vegan cheese. And um, I just read that the, uh, the, 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 the woman, what, what is the woman's name who just married into the royal family? Um, Megan, Megan, Megan Markle. Markle. Yeah. yeah, Megan Markle actually recommends this restaurant. She says it's phenomenal and she, uh, she uh, loves his cheese. She used to live in Los Angeles, and she she absolutely loves his vegan cheese. Wow. So that's another place that's less expensive, but the, it's just it's just great to be able I have to a question. have vegan cheese. Yeah. The last time I was there, mm-hmm. he told me that he had just changed his name to okay. vegan or something like that, or Vromage. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna check this on Happy Cow. V-R-O-M-A. Yeah, check it on Happy because he actually had just come from you know the court building or whatever, wherever it is yes. that you get a new name. Mm-hmm. That's some serious veganism. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you on happy cow, it's still called Vromage. No, Vromage is his name. I mean, is, is the name of the restaurant the, and the right. shop, but he actually changed his legal name. Oh, his name. own name. His yeah. Name. Oh, yeah. Okay. That I had not heard of, but uh, next time I go in there, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to check. That's yeah, pretty say, cool. What's That's your name devoted again? vegan. <laughs> Yeah, it is for sure. Okay, number three, we're waiting with bated breath here. Okay, let's, uh, you know, I like to, you know, break things up a little bit because I do mention a lot of the same restaurants a lot of times. Let me see, number three, number three, what do I absolutely love as far as vegan restaurants? You know, there's a lot of it. If you need number four as a runner up because you just can't decide, we'll take that one too. Okay, okay. (laughs) So again, um, let's see here. I'm going to throw this one out just because it's inexpensive, it's affordable, and I love this place. It's Krovajava in Warsaw. It's a it's a, a vegan hamburger place, and it's it just brings back really great memories of going into a little hamburger joint. They've opened up a number of other Krovajavas in Warsaw, but one of the reasons why I really think this restaurant is very special is because they have won a burger contest. They won it twice now. Now, this burger contest in Warsaw was not a burger contest in terms of a vegan class or a meat class, or it was the the best burger, the best burger in Warsaw. And it won twice. It won, I think in 2016, 2017, then it won back in like 2014. So it's actually a vegan burger that's beating out traditional burgers, which is incredible in Warsaw. So there's another place that I think is uh, is really great. But I'm going to give a fourth because, again, some of these places, unfortunately, some of the some of the places I love are a little more expensive. But uh, Crossroads in Los Angeles is just phenomenal. It's a Mediterranean restaurant. It's uh, it's quite expensive, but the food is is great. And uh, it just you know, they have this this crab cake and I believe it's made of hearts of palm. It may be made out of artichoke hearts. I'm not really sure which one it is. But boy, they make a mean crab cake. Oh, it's so delicious. 
Wow, that's so cool. Well, you make me want to give my favorite three. Can I do that? Yeah, I would love to hear them. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I'm not going to include anything in New York City because we have so many. It's just too difficult. But crazy. outside New York City, uh, in London, Wild Food Cafe. Okay. In I, yeah. Neil's Yard, it's just funky and wonderful, and it has this colorful food and all these superfoods that make me feel like a superhero when I leave. Um in Kansas City, my hometown, the Mud Pie Bakery and Coffee Shop, because it's right in my neighborhood where I used to live. And of yep. course, I had to move before everything started <laughs> popping. Nice. But it's a vegan coffee shop and bakery. There are very few of those around. And the fact that it's in Kansas City in my neighborhood makes me really happy. Yes. And then uh, in LA, Gracias Madre. Gracias, Madre. That's oh. a great one. And I love that outdoor seating area. It's, oh. it's really wonderful. Yeah, that's love pretty it. much a heaven with food in it. Yes, yes. So you make a lot of videos, and the Happy Cow YouTube channel is really worth watching. So what are some of your highlight experiences from all this videography? Uh, okay. Uh, the one that always stands out on top is the one about Kiev, Ukraine. And I'll tell you the reason why that stands out so much. When Eric and I decided to plan a trip over to Kiev, the real reason we decided to plan a trip over to Kiev was because we were going to Warsaw again. We figured, we looked, and we thought, well, there's only really one vegan restaurant in, in Kiev at the time. This is just two years ago, not even, and or maybe about two years ago. And so we planned a trip to Kiev. Now, before I go on a trip, I usually go on to Facebook and I try to find someone who I feel would be a good representative of a city. In this case, it was a, a guy, Rudolf Krajewski, who is the king vegan of, of Ukraine. And I contacted this guy and he says to me, this is about maybe four months before we decided to go, literally four months. He goes, oh, okay, great. I, I planned some events here. Uh, I'd like to plan a vegan event and maybe we can co-brand it and you can help promote it. I said, that would be fabulous to have a vegan event waiting for us in Kiev. Terrific. So here I thought it was going to be, and I've been to plenty of vegan events where there's about 25 people, two booths, and it's a nothing event. And you think, okay, thank you. That's kind of you. But this event, you can see it in the video, was phenomenal. It was indoors and outdoors. There were about 100 booths. There were people everywhere. There were about 5,000 people who attended this vegan event it was unbelievable. And you can see my excitement in the video. I just couldn't believe it. And I didn't know the city had, had, you know, vegans in the city. I thought it was, you know, one vegan restaurant, just, just a token vegan restaurant in the city. But that was a phenomenal experience. One other one that sort of stands out was um, one I did in Uruguay. And the reason that stands out is because, you know, I didn't expect to have, it's a meat culture in Uruguay and Argentina. It's all about the meat. And uh, I ended up going to this place First, I, I found a vegan grocery store, which I, I thought, wow, this is terrific. <laughs> but there was this one place, it was in an old garage, and a very small garage. And this guy made uh, Uruguayan food vegan. He veganized Uruguayan food. He incredible forward thinker. And I did the video about this, and he created these dishes that I had never heard of, vegan style. One, he made himself, and he just calls it the muffin. It's sort of like a savory muffin. It's one of the best things I've ever put into my mouth. It was absolutely delicious. You can see it in the video. I think I ate six of those. But those two experiences really stand out in my mind. 
Wow. Well, they would stand out in mine too, had I been there, but yeah, I don't yeah. have to be there because I can watch your video. I can watch the videos. So, so, Ken, what's your secret, or maybe more than one, to making really effective videos? Effective videos. Well, look, I'm no pro. I taught myself, and I've, I think I've gotten better. One of the things uh, that some people may not know is I compose all of the music for all the videos. I'm a professional producer of music. And so I, I kind of, you know, when I come back from a trip, I think, what, what, kind, of, what kind of music would make me, you know, what, what kind of music would reflect or would, would help people to maybe feel what I was feeling during this time? And I'm into more dance music. But for the uh, one for uh, Columbia that I did last year, I actually took all Colombian samples of, of Colombian instruments and composed sort of what I thought maybe Colombian music would sound like after I listened to some Colombian tracks down there. So I think the music for me is really important for the videos. Um, the other thing is is uh, just sort of scenery from the city that's sort of beyond veganism. I like to put in some scenery at the beginning of the videos that sort of sort of encapsulates and, and sort of gives people an impression of what the city is is about. And then just going in and talking to some people about, you know, the vegan. Sometimes I go to events and I talk to people at the events. Sometimes I talk to people at the restaurants. So just kind of giving it that grassroots feel. Um, I don't worry so much about all the stabilizers and all the high-tech equipment. I just like to get in there and just sort of cover a story. Mm. So when a regular person is making a video and they're looking for music, they have to be careful about music rights or absolutely yeah that's okay. the problem you know if you put if you put a track in your in your video and it's not licensed and you haven't paid for it they yeah. can literally either pull down your video or just take the music out yeah. or take the soundtrack out so you do have to be careful i've never had to worry about that fortunately cuz i make yeah cuz you have the gift yeah, well we all have gifts and this is what i always say to people in the vegan world your gift is needed Yes. By this movement. So yes. take it and, and use it. Absolutely. So now Happy Cow, I think we all know, yeah, it's a website, it's an app, it's great, I use it. But there's more stuff there. What else should we be doing with Happy Cow? Happy Cow, well, a lot of people these days think of Happy Cow as an app for the Android and the iPhone. And there there is a, a free version. Uh, it's, it's on the um, Android. Uh, but we actually, uh, we, we charge a very small fee, which just goes right back into the development of happy cow. And that goes right into the development of the paid versions for the Android and the iPhone versions. So we do have our apps, which are incredibly useful, but we also have our website, happycow.com. And on our website, we have a number of features. A lot of people don't know about one of which would be our forums where you can discuss vegan issues. We have recipes on the site. We have a list of famous vegans. Um, there's more available on the website than there is on the apps. And it's also, you know, it's sort of a bigger way to plan your trip. And one thing I do recommend people do when you're traveling and using our site is use our trips function. If you have the paid version, which is a really nice feature, you can go online, go to the various cities and you can find where the concentration of vegan restaurants or vegetarian or veg-friendly restaurants or stores and more bakeries, gluten-free. We have so many different things now, so many different listings, uh, raw food, catering, uh, you name it. It's on That's Happy so Cow. Cool. So That's you so can cool. sort of find the vegan areas of town. And then what I like to do is I like to find accommodations that are right in that area. And it's oftentimes sort of an Airbnb or maybe it's a couch surf or whatever it is. And, you know, a lot of times hotels are in the more expensive areas. I like to be right in the middle of where the vegan culture is, which is usually in the less expensive areas of a city. Mm -hmm. And then you can create a trip online and then that syncs up with your phone. What's nice about this is 
you're able to download or you're able to you know download that data onto your phone so that when you have no internet connection and you're in a city that doesn't have spotty internet connection, you can actually just turn on your phone, go to trips and walk around and navigate. GPS is available because it's from a satellite and just navigate the restaurants with no internet whatsoever. Wow. That's really helpful. And then there's the cookbook as well. Happy Cat yes. Cookbook, recipes from top rated vegan restaurants around, around the, world. the world. That's right. That's right. <laughs> HappyCowCookbook.com. Yeah. You can find that. Just really quickly, I want to ask about the celebrity list. You sure. know, it's so frustrating sometimes when a celebrity is vegan and then we find out he or she is not vegan. Yes. Do you have a way that you keep up with that? We do. I mean, sometimes the publicists write to us. Um, sometimes they don't. And sometimes if our data is outdated and it can be outdated any day, as you know, <laughs> uh, you just you just have to hope that they're still vegan. And if they're not, we hope that someone is going to let us know. We do have ties to some publicists and and, you know, or people read an article or will read an article about how a celebrity is no longer vegan. And yeah, you know, you can say it's frustrating, but at the same time, at least they gave it an attempt. I don't know what the statistics are, whether you know, a celebrity falls off the wagon of veganism, whether that actually turns people against veganism or gets people to start eating meat again. I don't know what, what happens there, but you know, it, it, there definitely is attention on this, on this cause and on this movement. Yeah. I was talking with Dr. Neil Barnard of Physicians Committee for Responsible sure. Medicine about this. And he was saying that there's some kind of statistic that everybody who makes it to vegan or not everybody, but the majority of people have several lapses and setbacks. I think he said the number was maybe nine. I'm not sure. Sorry, Neil, if I'm quoting you wrong. But anyway, very few people just go vegan and that's it forever yes. and ever. And I think if you're a celebrity and you have a setback, it seems like a great big deal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Everything you know. that a celebrity does is a big deal, right? Yeah. They Everything. And, and it is a wonderful list, and it, it's extremely yeah. comprehensive. So any of um, you guys who are, are listening who do blogs and who need this information, uh, the Happy Cow Celebrity List, I think is, um, I mean, I think it's the most accurate one that I know of, and I do look at a lot of them. So yeah. in our very last minute, Ken yes. Spector, Happy Cow app, happycow.com. Yes. Give us um, 45 to 60 seconds of superb travel tipping. Superb travel tipping. By the way, I wanted to thank our ambassadors around the world. We do have 400 uh, ambassadors around the world, and they Ooh. are phenomenal, and they help us to keep our listings up to date. Yeah. But as far as travel tips, uh, I would say definitely you know, go to Happy Cow, map out where you're going to go. I would say never, if you're a true vegan, never assume things are vegan. I ended up in Mexico at a sushi restaurant. I ordered the vegetable roll, and it ended up having cheese in it. So you really have to learn the words or use Google Translate and translate what you do and don't eat. Some people think vegans eat honey or cheese uh, and they don't know. So it's nice to have the vegan passport by the vegan society. That's really a nice book to have and travel with. Um, as far as uh, and, and, and the other thing about things that aren't vegan, just remember when you're eating rice or beans or whatever you're eating, Definitely ask what's in them if it's not a vegan restaurant. You will be surprised what ends up in your food. Yeah, this is true. Ken Spector, happycow.com, Happy Cow app. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and Thank for you, helping Victoria. us all travel happily. Stay with Thank us. Thank you so much. Bye. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio.
the voice of an awakening world. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate Today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher, who is loved by so many people, left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. It's Vintage Butterworth. He explains how to live from a deeper state of consciousness and awaken to health, love, prosperity, and peace of mind. Practical Metaphysics. Find it online by going to unity.org and click Shop. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. An evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. You know something that gets me all excited when somebody has a brilliant idea and somebody has the brilliant idea of getting Dr. T. Colin Campbell of the China Study nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. Would that be cool or what? And you can sign the petition to help that happen 
you have to put in the HTTP colon slash slash, you know, all that stuff. Dr. Campbell, numeral four, Nobel.org. Dr. Campbell for Nobel.org. And that'll be in our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Oh my gosh, would that be cool? One of ours recognized for changing this world and saving and changing a lot of lives. Also, if you uh, take yourself over to MainStreetVegan.net and check out our blog this week, it's called Three Ways to Have a Plastic-Free Summer. It's by Cindy Lou Negron. She's a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy, a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator living in Puerto Rico. And you know what? That whole plastic thing is something I have to work on. You know, we don't just get this thing and all of a sudden overnight we're perfect in every single way. But you know what? We're kind of perfect before we even start out. So that's a good thing. And then we just live and grow. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the second half of our program. I'm so honored to have with us today, right here in my dining room, Tatiana Ferrero Puerta, author of Yoga for the Wounded Heart, a journey, philosophy, and practice of healing emotional pain. Tatiana is originally from Bogota, Colombia. She's a graduate of Stanford and New York universities. She's taught philosophy and yoga for a decade, including her post as an adjunct faculty member at New York University and City University of New York. She's a columnist for New York Spirit, Park Slope Reader, and Elephant Journal, and recipient of the 2017 Pushcart Prize for Poetry, and a finalist for Blue Shift Journal's Prize for Writers of Color. Tatiana lives and teaches in the New York City area, and she has a little boy who is totally adorable and even though she could be my daughter, age-wise, I consider her one of my spiritual teachers and mentors. She's a faculty member for us at Main Street Vegan Academy. What a pleasure. Tatiana. Hi, Victoria. So good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's wonderful. And I have been reading your book. I have not finished it, but I have read much of it. And I have to say that even though I think we've known each other close to 10 years I know you now in a way that I didn't. And I was talking to a neighbor of mine who was writing a memoir and she says, that's what writing is for. We can never know people as well until they write. So thank you for writing this book. So why, why yoga for the wounded heart? Well, there's a few reasons why I wrote yoga for the wounded heart and a very practical, like my Main reason was um, that after teaching yoga for a long time and after uh, teaching yoga teachers for a long time in trainings, I realized that the focus of yoga had become really this physical practice. Um, And I felt that people were a little bit intimidated by the philosophy, which is where I felt was there's so much gold. So there was definitely that um, sort of teacher element of wanting to introduce people to the philosophy in a way that wasn't only accessible, but that was really applicable in their own lives. Um, And for yoga teachers also in their teaching, um, because it's such gold. But from a very personal place, I wrote Yoga for the Wounded Heart 
um, because I was really ready to tell my story. And I think that we're at a time where a lot of people are coming out and sharing about their experiences and really ready to open up some dialogue around some difficult conversations. Um, so that was that was also a driving force. So tell us some of your experiences and then how yoga intervened. Sure. Um, I came to yoga at a pretty dark time in my life. Um, I'd been doing yoga um, for about three years before I sort of hit rock bottom. And by rock bottom, I'd, um, I mean that I moved to New York City. I was here by myself and had lived through the death of both of my parents and being in a foster care system that was really uh, not fit for children, <laughs> um, where there was a lot of abuse and a lot of hurt. And so the way that I sort of focused was very academically um, and thought, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't influence me anymore. This doesn't matter anymore. Um, and then I sort of hit rock bottom and had a suicide attempt. And as I was coming out of the hospital, getting an EKG done, uh, my cardiologist said to me, you know, have you ever practiced yoga? And I said, yeah, I've done yoga. And she said, no, not done yoga, have you practiced yoga? I said, well, I don't even know what that means. And she said to me, well, here's your homework. Go do yoga for 30 days. N and see what happens. And so I felt really like, you know, sort of the beauty of hitting rock bottom is that you have nowhere to go but up. And that was really my first step into my practice. And I like to say that there was my life before yoga and then my life after I became a student and a dedicated practitioner. And it really made all the difference. It really gave me my life back. Are you sure she was a cardiologist and not an angel? <laughs> oh, she was certainly both. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So in in your book, you, you explore the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, where it all came from. And I think most people taking yoga in their lovely Lululemons and whatnot probably are not familiar with that text. So is it is it relevant today? Do we need it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so people generally tend to come to yoga um, to get flexible, to get strong, to learn how to do a crow pose or something that they've seen on Instagram. Um, and all of those things, you know, they're really great in their own way. We can't deny the physical benefits of having a, a movement practice and a practice that teaches us to tune into our breath and to notice where our minds are. But I really believe that while you know, Lululemon and the really brilliant marketing at, around yoga um, over the last decade um, gets people in the door. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, I don't think that's what makes people stay. I think that what makes people stay and come back and develop a practice is that through the practice, through showing up, there is um, there's a surrender that happens that really gives us insight into who we are and why we're here and why it all matters. Um, and so the, what the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali do is, first of all, the text was the first text, historically speaking, that where we see an exploration of what is yoga as a system. And so really it's a container and it's um, a very systematic approach to this is the practice and this is how it works and this is why it works. Um, but it's very much like a come and see for yourself. It's not sort of faith-based in the sense of that you have to 
believe in it for it to work. It's very much common practice and then notice your experience. Um, why it's valuable to the new practitioner is that it can it gives us the tools with which to understand our experience because there's a transformation in that surrender. There is a transformation in um, finding sort of one's insight about, again, our lives, et cetera. So having the language and having the concepts is really helpful to understand how we're transforming. So is this where we find the, the yamas and the nayamas of yoga? What are those and do, do we need them? Yeah, absolutely. So the first, the book, the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali is broken up into four books. Um, in my book, I really only cover the first book of the Yoga Sutras, which is sometimes called the portion on contemplation. And it's really the sort of quote unquote philosophy of it. Um, the second book is um, the portion on practice which has the eight limbs of yoga. Um, and that's where we go into um, ahimsa, nonviolence, um, telling the truth, um, not being greedy, you know, all of these types of practices that we see not only in the yoga sutras, but we see them echoed in a number of spiritual practices um, and religious, religious traditions. Um, but really, I think the main takeaway is that we have what we might consider a spiritual experience or really a truth, an experience of our truth. Um, what's really beautiful about the Yoga Sutras is that it's then followed by what you have to practice, right? Because all the philosophy in the world is just niceties if we don't put them into action. And it's through the practice of, am I practicing nonviolence um, in my speech? Am I practicing nonviolence in my thoughts about myself? And before I even go there, though, I'm required to practice observation and even noticing how I treat other people, how I treat myself, how that changes depending on my environment. So those are the those are really the tools. And Patabi Joyce is often quoted in a really great quote. He says, um, yoga is one percent theory, ninety nine percent practice. Mm -hmm. It's really the proof is in the pudding. And that's that's where the growth happens. That said, the intellectual insight is also really powerful. So tell me, Tatiana, about the body and the spirit. What attracted me to yoga when I was 17, I had always been very comfortable in the body. I love the realm of ideas. And here was yoga that let me be in that soul space and bring the body along. But I think even to this day, I am sometimes so much more comfortable with non-physical ideas and ideals. So, so tell me about the body. Tell me how we can resurrect the body into a kind of spiritual state while we're living in it. Uh, that's such a great question. So I think that very much like you, I'm an intellectual person. Um, that's sort of my powerhouse. <laughs> and when I personally came to yoga, I was very disembodied. Um, I was dealing with an eating disorder. I was dealing with self-injury and really not feeling at home in my body. And really, also being an academic, not really seeing the value of having a healthy body. For me, I just thought, well, well it's just a body. Who cares? The mind is more important. Um, so when I came to practice yoga and the, what the practice of yoga does is that it helps us really truly abide in our bodies and land right where we are. And as you're saying, through creating awareness with our breath, through creating awareness with our thoughts, um, 
we start to have an experience of unifying these things. And so the word yoga generally is translated as union. In the Sanskrit, it stems from the root yug, which means to bind, to yoke, or to bring together. And so generally what the way it's talked about is that, well, yoga creates this experience of unity, of uniting the breath and the heart and the mind and the soul, all of them together. However, when we explore a little deeper, we find that what's actually happening is that none of those things were ever separate to begin with. We just weren't aware of their inherent unity. Um, And so what yoga is instead is a sort of removal system of the barriers that we create to to our own inherent unity that's always there. The caveat is that it's always there here now in the presence of the moment. And so by yoking or uniting ourselves to the moment at hand, we learn to live in a more open-handed way and we experience our spirit, we experience our essence, we come into a more um, rooted physically, mentally, and spiritually landing place to who we are. Mm. And that's a very different place from which to experience life as opposed to the sensation of disembodiment or separation. Oh, I need to listen to this three or four times. Thank you, Tatiana. <laughs> Listeners, we're talking with Tatiana Ferrero Puerta. The book is Yoga for the Wounded Heart. It comes from Lantern Books, one of our favorite publishers, a wonderful uh, vegan publishing house. It really, many, many, many people need this book. If you have experienced any kind of, of trauma, abuse, rejection, grief, um, get yourself a copy of of Yoga for the Wounded Heart. It could uh, heal your heart and um, do a whole lot more. So Tatiana, yoga is really popular. It's frighteningly popular to me because when I started, there were three books on yoga in the whole library. And now, you know, hundreds and thousands and all that. And yet it sometimes seems like it's lost a little bit of, of the substance and i think a lot of of vegans would say where did the ahimsa thing go so as you look out into the yogic landscape today what do you see and how do you respond well i i I know what you mean and at the same you know everything kind of has two sides when i very first started practicing yoga you had to explain to people what yoga was um, they, they sort of look at you weird. <laughs> um, but now, you know, I think that the upside is that, again, it gets people in through that door. And anything that really, I just have so much faith in the practice as a practice itself, that it is a practice that necessarily brings us to awareness, that necessarily brings us into integration, that everything has its growth spurts, you know? Um, and it's sort of maybe right now it's like the teenager <laughs> that thinks it it knows <laughs> everything. But eventually the practice as it's practiced in the West, I, I feel like it's going to come back to its roots because I don't think that it can't not mm. um, in the sense that the work is showing up. And if we are all even if the the aim is to learn how to do a handstand or to like get longer hamstrings or whatever, like those things are great. But I genuinely believe that people will have the experience of surrender and will have the experience of integration and that that experience will start to eventually open up and become 
become really the reason why people practice. So I know that we have a lot of listeners who are yoga teachers. And I'm wondering in terms of survivors of trauma and that, do yoga teachers need better training about how to deal with that? Can stuff come up? Can it be something that maybe a yoga teacher couldn't handle? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot, even within the yoga teaching community, there's a lot of levels of training. Um, and it's really a, a place that's starting to develop. You're seeing a lot more trauma-sensitive work happening. Um, but it's a conversation that needs to be had about how to handle trauma in the yoga space. Um, but thankfully, I think that it's a community that's really willing to listen because most of us who are for whom yoga is a way of life, we want people's best interest. We want people to come and heal and we know the potential for healing within this practice. So I think it behooves us to really have these difficult conversations, to really step up our level of training, to even um, work with psychologists, physical therapists, really across the board and to get, sort of to get the news on, to get more informed and not stick to our, you know, 200 hours yoga teacher training, but really go on and see how we can best serve our students. So you said an interesting phrase. You said those of us who practice yoga as a way of life. So what does that mean? Just describe your day. <laughs> well, I actually don't think it has so much to do about the things that happen or the things that I do in my day, but rather the way with which I do them or the manner in which I come to them. So yoga is about yoga as a way of life is really about how we relate to anything and that the quality of that relation um that it's with a certain level of self-awareness um self-awareness kindness compassion and really looking to expand our sense our sense of self through our interactions so in other if i can put this in a, in a metaphor we can the practice of asana can be a really good metaphor because again, we can practice asana in a sort of segregated way. I want to learn how to do this pose. And again, that's awesome. But it can also be, I want to learn how I react to things, right? I want how it can be a self inquiry, right? How am I when I'm placed in a position and I can't do a thing that I want to do? How do I react to that? How does that reflect on my relationship, my uh, my relationship with my family or my relationship uh, with my beloved. So it's really can be just an, a form of exercise or it can be how I come to any one thing is how I come to everything else. And then here is just an, this opportunity to deepen my presence with anything that's in front of me. So Tatiana, a lot of women, uh, the Me Too movement and that are coming forward with stories of abuse. And, and I know that you went through some really harrowing experiences. Do you think that yoga or some kind of societal evolution has brought us to this place where more people are speaking up and speaking out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really believe that if we are going to heal societal wounds, that part of that um, has to do with waking up the places that were asleep. And we can't talk integration. If yoga is ultimately about a union of consciousness, that involves an integration of our experiences. And we can't do that if, you know, 
non-equity, abuse, sexual assault is hiding over here in a little corner of our social consciousness. In order for us to integrate, we got to open that window. we got to air that out and bring it into the conversation. So I do think that it's a good thing um, for all of these movements to be happening where that they're shedding light on the wounds that we have that are all of these wounds are wounds that happen because we're not treating each other equally because we're in our misconception of our shared humanity. So, so the, I think that bringing light to all of these things is absolutely necessary in order to heal them. So how about forgiveness? I know growing up in the Christian tradition, that's a really big thing. But in some of these situations, we're asked to forgive what really seems to be unforgivable. So if your abuser were to walk in here right now, what would the present day Tatiana feel, say, how would she react? Well, um, I actually just had a conversation with my abuser maybe three weeks ago. Um, so after many, many years of being out of touch, this is a person that has um, sought to connect with me over the years. Um, and w that was once a very scary prospect. And, you know, I'm not welcoming, not necessarily welcoming him to, into my space, but it doesn't scare me anymore. I don't, I'm not frightened. I'm not threatened. Um, but I think really what it is with forgiveness is that we're giving ourselves the permission to have had that experience and to have grieved that experience and to be angry about that experience. Um, and so it sort of works both ways. We forgive a person, but we're forgiving also ourselves. And when we do that, the load is, is less. And if there if there's still, if there's still um, pressure there, then maybe there's a little bit more to dive into um, in terms of letting that experience go. But that's not an easy thing to do. Um, in my book, I say that, and it's the last chapters on forgiveness. Um, and I think that that's sort of, I call it the ninja training <laughs> of yoga, because ultimately that's, that's what it's about. You know, we can, again, talk all the niceties, but when we're placed in really legitimately difficult situations um, where we're called to, can we have compassion here? And really, that's the calling. Can I find love even in the darkest places and compassion for, say, in my particular case, I found that it was a person who was deeply, deeply hurting and that no matter what kind of hurt they could do to me, their own hurt was so much bigger than anything they could do to me. Um, I'm not the 14 year old girl anymore. Um, so I'm safe. That person is still dealing with that. So for me, I feel I feel even a little bit of sadness and hope. And I do wish for them to heal. Oh, you would make anybody want to practice yoga. You're a remarkable woman, Tatiana. Now, you have, as we said, a lovely little boy. And uh, your, your um, sister, Vanessa, who went through a lot of this with you and alongside you, as you uh, describe in the book, also has a toddler. So how is it going forward? You raising little yogis? <laughs> well, I think that they'll find, you know, we do have our little yoga practice at home uh, with, with my son, Soren. Um, but I think really it's not so much about the movement. It's I 
for us, it's about teaching our sons to be self-aware, to be self-reflective, to become passionate, to be self-aware. Um, and I have to say also in raising a man, raising a man, a little mini man, to teach him that there's power, inherent power in that and how inherent power and, um, and privilege in that and how to use it and how, where does he stand in societally and how he can use that to create more equity in the world. So we really want to um, instill that sense of let's scan our environment and let's see where are things not equal and how can we bring people up? How can we use the power that we have to bring all of us up? Oh my goodness. Well, if you live anywhere New York, near New York City, find this woman and let her be your yoga teacher. <laughs> It'll change your life. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the book, Yoga for the Wounded Heart, A Journey, Philosophy, and Practice of Healing Emotional Pain, Tatiana Ferrero Puerta, Lantern Books, and we'll put all that on the show notes next week. Ooh, next week is going to be fun. I know this because it's a pre-record. So I talked with Tracy McWhorter and her amazing mother, who is over the age of 80. She said that herself, so I'm not speaking out of school. And we're going to be talking about their wonderful book, Ageless Vegan, because both of them are. They're absolutely extraordinary women. You will love it. And I will be at the podcast convention in Philadelphia. So hopefully I will come back in two weeks and, you know, just be a way better host and everything will be really cool. But you know what? It already is. Bless you, Tatiana. Thank you, Unity Online Radio. And to everybody, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.